Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Don't Be a User by Ash G, a 16-year-old singer-songwriter from Columbus, Ohio. Ash is our featured Ohio music artist tonight, so hang out with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you a little bit more about her and let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. co-host Steve Yoder and with me is our award-winning journalist Paula Schleiss who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi everyone. Steve, do you like rainstorms? I love rainstorms. I know you love weather. (laughs) (laughs) I love rainstorms. When I was young, my dad, your grandpa, used to go stand on our covered porch during storms, especially if there was a tornado warning out. And I remember going out with him to keep vigil. You know what I learned later as an adult? What's that? If there is possibly a tornado in your area, you're supposed to go to the basement, <laughs> not the patio. I didn't know this at first, okay? Well, my daddy is gone. I still feel the temptation to head outdoors when it storms, but I have just discovered something that might break me of that bad habit. The knowledge that the next storm might bring a shower of worms. Worms. <laughs> worms. Can you say, ew? <laughs> On tonight's episode, we're going to discuss four strange phenomenon that were reported in Ohio. In addition to a town that said they were besieged by falling worms, we've got a town pelted with rocks. Hmm. We're also going to explore what's known as the Lake Erie Lights and a couple of well-documented tsunami tidal waves that inexplicably rose out of the lake to destroy piers and buildings and drown fishermen. Drowning fishermen, okay. It happened. But let's go back to phenomenon number one, those worms. In April of 1895, a small story appeared in newspapers all across the country. The dateline was Alliance, Ohio, and it read like this. During the heavy storm last night, millions of angleworms fell making pavement so slippery that it was nearly impossible to walk on them. The storm caused landslides 200 feet long in the Garfield cut of the Fort Wayne Road, seven miles east 
bearing one of the tracks. A large force of men worked all night to clear it. That was all. It was brief and to the point that the Princeton Union in Minnesota went a little farther to suggest the event might have been a biblical warning for wayward souls to recognize the error of their ways. (laughs) Of course, there's good reason to be skeptical of this worm shower. The year alone makes me go, hmm, because back in 1895, newspapers frequently printed fiction as fact and had fun with it. Second, angleworms are earthworms. They naturally come out of the ground when it gets wet. So if there was a heavy storm, it wouldn't be surprising to find a bunch of them taking refuge on a sidewalk. There's a website called mcweather.com where the administrator was asked about these reports because, believe it or not, Alliance isn't the only community claiming to have been rained on by worms. He called it hogwash, saying there is no normal mechanism to pull the worms up into the air, let alone drop them back to the surface. So, you know, what do you think? Well, Makes sense. I, I think that uh, God was angry at some of the bait stores and decided to close them down for a oh, few weeks. Oh, okay. Go. A little right. personal plague there on all the go. bait stores. That's right. Yeah. Don't have to go to the bait store to buy any worms. <laughs> well, I was willing to accept that. But then I found this report in 2015 from the BBC. From the BBC? That's a rather respectable media outlet. Yeah. The report came from Karsten Erstad, who was a biologist in Norway, and he said he was skiing in that country when he came across a snow field of thousands of live earthworms looking as if they had just been dropped from the sky. Now, he investigated and he ruled out these worms burrowing up from the ground because the snow was a foot and a half thick. There were no exit holes in the snow And if they had made that journey, they would have been frozen, not squirming around. His report prompted others to come forward. Turns out in April of 2011, just four years before then, an outdoor gym class near Edinburgh in Great Britain had to be canceled after worms rained onto the field. Now, I couldn't find an official scientific explanation of whether this could happen or how, One educated guess made by someone is that since the events seem to always happen in spring, maybe the worms emerged from their long winter underground, got caught up in a thermal, which is one of those rising pockets of warm air, and carried into the sky to be deposited somewhere else. I also found that worms may not be the worst thing to fall on you. In 2004, another British town reported it had rained fish. In 2009, a Japanese village said it had been doused by frogs and tadpoles. I don't know. Those things seem to be awfully heavy to be taking flight short of a tornado there to help them. But Steve, here's one terrifying phenomenon that was actually caught on video. Thank God it wasn't in Ohio. And that was a rain of spiders. Nope, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) These six-legged raindrops fell in Brazil. Now, what investigators found was that it wasn't rain so much as a big errant wind because those spiders live in webs that can be as big as a house, comprised of 50,000 or more creepy crawlies. 
and apparently a poorly attached colony of webs had been picked up on a breeze and dumped on the town, leaving the spiders dangling from rooftops and power lines. I'm betting the engineers of that spider colony lost their jobs after that. So this is a natural segue to our phenomenon number two, a rain of rocks. This one reportedly happened in 1901 in the town of Harrisonville, Ohio. Sources say the story came from the Buffalo Express in Buffalo, New York. With Harrison as the dateline, the story said the stone attack on this small village began on the Sunday afternoon of October 13, when a small boulder came crashing through the window of Zach Dye's house. No culprit could be found around the isolated house, and this was just the beginning. The next day, dozens of stones rained down in the heart of the village, breaking windows and striking citizens. The report went on to say the townspeople even round up all the men and boys of Harrisonville to rule out an act of troublemakers. Okay. Of course, you know, it was assumed girls and ladies would never do such a thing. Right. But the stones continued to fall until a couple days later when it was apparently done. My challenge in trying to even confirm the story is that I can't find the original Buffalo Express story, and I don't know what Harrisonville the story speaks of. I found two Harrisonvilles in Ohio. One is an unincorporated community in Meigs County, and the historical society there told me, no way, it didn't happen there. There was a Harrisonville in Scioto County. Which is south of Columbus? Oh, don't ask me. I'd have to look that up. I'm taking the guess because the Scioto River runs south of Columbus. There you go. There you go. It later changed its name to Minford, but neither newspapers nor a book I found on the history of Scioto County mentioned the event. And you'd think a rain of rocks for several days would be worth mentioning. This wasn't the only time, though, a community reported raining rocks. That phenomenon has made news from Indonesia to Kenya to Turkey. Could it really happen? You know what? I, we've got a really good armchair detective on this. I can't wait to ask her about it. And shout out to our listeners in Kenya. They're going to like that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we do have some. Well, let's go to phenomenon number three, because this one was definitely real. It's just unexplained. Some call it the Lake Erie mystery wave, and it's happened twice. When a tidal wave rose from a calm surface, wreaking destruction on the shore and drowning people in its wake. Now, Lake Erie, we've talked about this on our episodes before, Steve. You know, it's the shallowest of the Great Lakes. Very shallow. And a storm can whip up waves in a hurry. But in both of these documented cases, there was no storm. An investigation could find no reports of large waves anywhere else on the lake. No strong winds being reported by ship captains, not even a hint of an earthquake. So let me take you back to the first event. It's June 23, 1882, just after 6 a.m. The men on watch at the life-saving station in Cleveland on lakefront between Erie to the east and the breakwater to the west notice a wicked black cloud far in the distance. There's a rumble of thunder, but the weather isn't touching them, and there's no wind to speak of. The water is smooth as glass. Then 10 minutes later, a quarter of a mile offshore, 
a green wall rises from the water almost nine feet high. It plows onto the land with a great roar. A man standing on the pier at the life-saving station turns and runs for his life. The pier he'd been standing on moments before gets submerged by four feet of water. The wave snaps mooring lines of ships. It pours into the Lake Erie rolling mill and extinguishes the factory fire. It lifts a barge loaded with sand and tosses it onto the dry ground. Huge logs are carried from the resting place near the railroad track to a distance of 200 feet inland. The tracks themselves are torn up and the ties strewn about. Hundreds of fish litter the beach and streets. It's amazing that a nine feet high water can do that. That's very powerful. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the pressure that water can apply, especially if it's got some push behind it, yeah. is just incredible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Well, Captain Goodwin at the station, he told the story of how he saved himself by springing to the roof of a shed. A man named James Welsh talked about how he was struck down by a heavy timber before the wave carried him to the wall of the Union train depot. And night watchman Dave Johnson said a stove was thrown onto him. And they were the lucky ones. An unknown drifter who was sleeping on the ground near Tucker's boathouse was drowned. Surely that thundercloud had something to do with it. But it's still hard to understand. Hardly any rain made it to shore, and even then, it was a sprinkle that lasted less than 15 minutes. We have storms all the time over Lake. Why wouldn't this be happening more? Exactly. I mean, every time you see a, a cloud like that, it's not causing this to happen. So how can that cloud be to blame? Right. And even modern-day meteorologists can't answer that. But you know, it happened again. And this time it was 1942, a much more modern era. 
And this one, twice as big, 15 feet high. It came ashore from Bay Village to Geneva, breaking a steamship free of its moorings and sending it colliding with a freighter. Seven fishermen drowned in that event when the wave swept them into Lake Erie. Now, modern experts say it would be fair to call the rogue waves a tsunami, though it's not like the ones in the ocean that are caused by earthquakes. They say they still have much to learn about them and will probably never be able to predict them. But one theory is that a fast-moving, severe thunderstorm anywhere over the lake could cause a ripple effect that grows as it travels. The surge of water can reach a destructive size far from where it was created, and it can bounce back. Think of Lake Erie as a bathtub. If the water bounces from one side, it can roll back to the other, completely surprising people on the other shore. That's true. So let's move to our fourth phenomenon tonight. This one, another oddity on Lake Erie, but one that's never hurt anyone. Collectively, these kinds of sightings fall under the name the Lake Erie Lights. And here's a sampling of them I found during a particularly active year in 2013, although they're reported pretty much every year. But in 2013 alone, June 28, in Cleveland Heights, at least six people witnessed five orange-red lights traveling in the sky. July 27, in Seven Hills, a resident reported four orange-red balls near Pleasant Valley Road. October 19, in Brecksville, a school teacher observed 20 large red balls traveling east near Wallings Road in I-77. October 27, in Lorraine, eight deep red objects that look like Christmas ornaments travel in synchronized speed. November 23, in Parma, an orange fireball drips smaller fireballs as it moves across the sky. <laughs> That's awesome. In almost all of these cases, witnesses said the objects traveled west to east, then turned and disappeared over Lake Erie. Now, not surprisingly, what do you think is the first thought people are going to have when they see these things? Oh, of course, UFO. UFOs. You know, some ufologists have gone as far to suggest there must be some sort of undetected UFO base at the bottom of the lake, sort of their, you know, their landing site for all of these traveling spaceships. But after that rash of sightings in 2013, Cleveland meteorologist Mark Johnson explained the oddity. It actually has an explanation, oh. if, if you want to believe him, okay, okay. and you want to let go of the UFOs. All right, Mark, we're putting you, we're putting you up here. <laughs> see, what, see what you got. What we're seeing, he said, is Canada. Canada. We're seeing Canada. Now, the- Canada, as you know, it's on the other side of Lake Erie, and normally you can't see any evidence of it because it's beyond the horizon. But on rare occasions, when there is a specific mix of density and temperature in the air above the lake, it can cause a weather event called super refraction. And when that happens, light bends in ways that it normally doesn't. In 2013, it is believed that the Lake Erie lights people were seeing were actually rays, light rays that were reaching us from wind turbines along the Canadian shore. I can almost imagine, you know, how those wind turbines turn, and that's why there would be like multiple lights looking like they're traveling 
and synchronized. And since the Earth is flat, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. That's another mystery. <laughs> right. <laughs> is it that simple, though? Let's see what our armchair detective has to say. Well, joining us tonight is Susie Thomas from Akron, Ohio. And Susie, Susie is 12 years old. How are you, Susie? Hi, well, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so thrilled to have you on this because I love that TV program, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Because kids are getting science like every day in school, and of course they're going to be smarter than about some of this stuff. Do you love science? Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> Do you think science holds the answer to these uh, four phenomenon? Um, they could. Or it could be something, like, beyond science. Like, it could be, like, beyond our understanding. Something could be happening we just haven't been able to identify yet. So let's go through these one at a time. Our first phenomenon was worms raining out of the sky and falling on the city of Alliance, which is not too far from us. I mean, that's less than an hour's drive from here. What do you think about that story? I think it could happen, but I feel like a more logical explanation is they didn't come out of the sky, like not necessarily rain, but maybe another time, like in another place, it rained and the worms, they came out and maybe like a big gust of wind came and swept them up and carried them to Alliance and that's how they came to be in Alliance. I can see that, some kind of a storm. You know, we mentioned in the article that there was a big wind that lifted up an entire house-sized colony of spiders and carried it to another community and dropped it on them. So you're, you're saying maybe the same kind of thing could have happened with the worms. The rain brought the worms out, and then the wind whisked them over and dropped them over another community. Yeah, that's probably, that's like what I think happened. That seems the most logical to me. Now, in our second phenomenon, we had the sky raining something odd. In that case, it was rocks. Now, what do you think about that one? Because, you know, worms, spiders weigh nothing. Worms weigh a little bit more, but they don't weigh what a rock would weigh. What do you think about the possibility that it actually rained rocks? I think, again, I wouldn't really use the word rain, like, because I feel like it could have been an explosion nearby or uh, like an explosion happened of some sort and pieces of the earth and different rocks, they might have come up in the explosion. And they could have started hitting the nearby community. I got to tell you one thing about that story that I thought was kind of funny was because when it kept raining rocks, they decided to round up all the boys and keep them together because they thought that the boys might have been doing it. But they didn't round up the girls. What do you think about that decision? Did they make the right decision? Would girls be incapable of being mischievous that way? I feel like, I mean, I'm kind of mischievous, and I know people 
who are pretty mischievous. And I feel like maybe, like, if somebody was responsible for it, it could have been anybody and not just the boys. But a lot of the boys I know are kind of troublemakers sometimes, too. <laughs> so <laughs> I think they might have been giving girls a little too much credit for being uh, good and not getting into trouble. <laughs> So now the third phenomenon were those waves in Lake Erie. Now, I tried explaining the concept of that bathtub. Did did you kind of understand what I was talking about when I was trying to explain that? Yeah, but I feel like it could have also been Bessie, like the Lake Erie monster. Oh, so this is where you get into the idea that maybe there's something happening that we don't fully understand. And in this case, the Bessie, the Lake Erie monster. Yeah, because I know you guys did an episode about the Lake Erie monster. And I just thought, oh, that kind of sounds like it could have had something to do that affected the waves. I imagine if that I imagine if that monster was out there undulating over the water, it could cause quite a wave. I'm not sure if it could cause that much unless it was really big, but I think I know what you're saying. Maybe maybe a whole family of Lake Erie monsters. Yeah, maybe there's more than one and it's not just Bessie out there. How about a school of Lake Erie monsters? <laughs> like a school of fish. <laughs> that would be something. Now, our last phenomenon was those lights over Lake Erie. And a lot of people, even though a meteorologist has come out and said, it's just a phenomenon, it's just reflecting some lights that are actually all the way over in Canada, but there are a lot of people that are still absolutely convinced that those lights are UFOs, some kind of uh, alien communication or visitation to us. What do you think about that one? Well, they're certainly UFOs because they're unidentified flying objects. So they're definitely UFOs, but we don't know if they have something to do with aliens or if they are just lights reflecting off of Canada. It could also be Bessie again, too. (laughs) What? How could it be Bessie? Because light light might reflect off of their scales, because I know in the episode that you discussed Bessie, people, like you said that people were talking about, like, finding some of her scales and how shiny they could be. And I feel like maybe if Bessie had come up to the surface, her scales might have been really shiny and they could have affected the light and that's how the Lake Erie lights were happening. But it could also be aliens too. Um, Very interesting. Would you like to think that there are aliens out there visiting us? I like to think that there are aliens out there because... It's kind of fun to know that, like, we're not, to think that we're not the only creatures out there in the universe. Yeah. I think it would be really cool if aliens were real. And here visiting us. I agree. I would like to think so, too. 
Susie, thank you so much for joining us. I, uh, for our listeners, Susie is a has been a fan of Ohio Mysteries for quite some time, and she asked if she could be on our show, and we were so thrilled to have her because this is a perfect topic for a 12-year-old mind to help us figure this out. So thank you, Susie. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. Ash G is the performing name for Ashley Graham, who was born in Louisville, Kentucky, but now calls Columbus, Ohio home. Ash is 16 years old and writes songs drawn from her personal experience. For instance, the song we're featuring tonight, Don't Be a User, is about a relationship she thought was promising, but... That was before she learned the guy already had a girlfriend. Ash said her goal after graduation is to pursue a musical career in Nashville. She said last year her parents took her to Nashville to give her a reality check and show her how hard it could be to break into the music industry. But she met a singer at the Honky Tonk Bar on Music Row who invited her to perform. So Ash took 15 minutes to quickly practice Before He Cheats by Carrie Underwood. Then she took the stage. Ash said it was magical, and her trip to Nashville only reinforced in her that is where she needed to be. You can follow Ash G on Facebook, Instagram, and you'll find her music on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. So let's have a listen to Don't Be a User by Ash G, and we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.
greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts.